0: CHAPTER Nine OF MERIDIANA THE ADVENTURES OF THREE ENGLISHMEN AND THREE RUSSIANS IN SOUTH AFRICA This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. MERIDIANA THE ADVENTURES OF THREE ENGLISHMEN AND THREE RUSSIANS IN SOUTH AFRICA by Jules Verne Translated by Ellen E. Fruer, 1848 Chapter 9. The Crawl. The next day operations were continued. The angle made by the Baobab with the extremities of the base was measured, and the first triangle solved. Two more stations were chosen to the right and left of the meridian. One formed by a distinct mound six miles away, the other marked out by a post about seven miles distant the triangulation went on uninterruptedly for a month and by the fifteenth of may the observers had advanced northwards one degree having formed seven triangles during this first series of operations the colonel and strux were rarely together the division of labor separated them and the circumstances of their daily work being several miles apart was a guarantee against any dispute each evening they returned to their several abodes and although at intervals discussions arose about the choice of stations there was no serious altercation hence zorn and his friend were in hopes that the survey would proceed without any open rupture after advancing one degree from the south, the observers found themselves in the same parallel with Lattacoo, from which they were distant thirty-five miles to the west. Here a large kraal had lately been formed, and as it was a marked halting-place, Sir John Murray proposed that they should stay for several days. Zorn and Emery could take advantage of the rest to take the altitude of the sun and palander would employ himself in reducing the measurements made at different points of sight to the uniform level of the sea sir john himself wanted to be free from scientific observations that he might divert himself with his gun among the fauna of the country a kraal as it is termed by the natives of south africa is a kind of moving village wandering from one pasturage to another it is an enclosure composed ordinarily of about thirty habitations and containing several hundred inhabitants the kraal now reached was formed by a group of more than sixty huts enclosed for protection from wild animals by a palisade of prickly aloes and situated on the banks of a small affluent of the Kuruman. the huts made of waterproof rush mats fastened to wooden beams were like low hives the doorway protected by a skin was so small that it could only be entered on hands and knees and from this the only aperture issued such dense reeves of smoke as would make existence in these abodes problematical to any but a bochesman or a hottentot the whole population was roused by the arrival of the caravan the dogs of which there was one for the protection of each cabin barked furiously and about two hundred warriors armed with assegais knives and clubs and protected by their leathern shields marched forward a few words from mokoam to one of the chiefs soon dispelled all hostile feeling and the caravan obtained permission to encamp on the very banks of the stream The Bojessmen did not even refuse to share the pastures which extended for miles away. Mokoham, having first given orders for the wagons to be placed in a circle as usual, mounted his zebra, and set off in company with Sir John Murray, who rode his accustomed horse. The hunters took their dogs and rifles, showing their intentions of attacking the wild beasts, and went towards the woods. "'I hope, Mokoham,' said Sir John, that you're going to keep the promise you made at Morgida Falls, that you would bring me into the best sporting country in the world. But understand I've not come here for hares and foxes. I can get them at home. Before another hour... Hour? replied the bushman. You're rather too fast. A little patience, please. For myself, I am never patient, except when hunting. And then i make amends for all my impatience at other times don't you know sir john that the chase of large beasts is quite a science here you must wait and watch you must not step or even look too quickly for my part i have laid in wait for days together for a buffalo or gemsbok, and if i have had success at last i have not considered my trouble in vain very good replied sir john I can show you as much patience as you can wish but mind the halt only lasts for three or four days and we must lose no time there is something in that said the bushman so calmly that emery would not have recognized his companion of the orange river we will just kill that which comes first sir john antelope or deer new or gazelle anything must do for hunters in a hurry antelope or gazelle cried sir john why what more could i ask my good fellow as long as your honor is satisfied i have nothing more to say said the bushman somewhat ironically i thought that you would not let me off with anything less than a rhinoceros or two or at least an elephant anything and anywhere said sir john we only waste time in talking the horses were put to a hand-gallop and the hunters advanced quickly towards the forest the plain rose with a gentle slope towards the northeast it was dotted here and there with shrubs in full bloom from which issued a viscous resin transparent and odorous of which the colonists made a balm for wounds in picturesque groups rose the nawanas a kind of sycamore fig whose trunks leafless to the height of thirty or forty feet supported a spreading parasol of verdure. Among the foliage chattered swarms of screaming parrots eagerly pecking the sour figs. Farther on were mimosas with their yellow clusters, silver trees shaking their silky tufts, and aloes with spikes so red they might pass for coral plants torn from the depths of the sea. The ground enameled with amaryllis with their bluish foliage was smooth and easy for the horses and in less than an hour after leaving the crawl the sportsmen reached the wood for several miles extended a forest of acacias the entangled branches scarcely allowing a ray of sunlight to penetrate to the ground below which was encumbered by brambles and long grass the hunters had little difficulty however in urging on both horse and zebra in spite of every obstacle resting at the recurring glades to examine the thickets around them the first day was not very favourable in vain was the forest scoured not a single beast stirred and sir john's thoughts turned more than once to the plains of scotland where a shot is rarely long delayed McCoam evinced neither surprise nor vexation to him it was not a hunt but merely a rush across the forest towards six in the evening they had to think about returning sir john was more vexed than he would allow rather than he the renowned hunter should return empty-handed he resolved to shoot whatever first came within range and fortune seemed to favour him they were not more than three miles from the kraal when a hare of the species called lepus repestris darted from a bush about a hundred and fifty paces in front of them sir john did not hesitate a moment and sent his explosive ball after the poor little animal the bushman gave a cry of indignation at such a ball being employed for such an aim but the englishman eager for his prey galloped to the spot where the victim fell in vain the only vestiges of the hare were the bloody morsels on the ground whilst the dogs rummaged in the brushwood sir john looked keenly about and cried i'm sure i hid it rather too well replied the bushman quietly and sure enough the hare had been blown into countless fragments sir john greatly mortified remounted his horse and returned to camp without uttering another word the next day the bushman waited for sir john murray to propose another expedition but the englishman applied himself for a time to his scientific instruments for pastime, time he watched the occupants of the kraal as they practised with their bows or played on the gora an instrument composed of a piece of catgut stretched on a bow and kept in vibration by blowing through an ostrich feather he remarked that the women while occupied in their domestic duties smoked that is the unwholesome hemp plant a practice indulged in by most of the natives according to some travellers this inhaling of hemp increases physical strength to the damage of mental energy and indeed many of the appeared stupefied from its effects at dawn however the following day sir john murray was aroused by the appearance of macoam who said "'I think, sir, we may be fortunate enough to-day to find something better than a hare.' Sir John, not heeding the satire, declared himself ready, and the two hunters, accordingly, were off betimes. This time Sir John, instead of his formidable rifle, carried a simple gun of Goldwyn's as being a more suitable weapon. True, there was a chance of meeting some prowling beast from the forest, but he had the hair on his mind and would sooner use small shot against a lion than repeat an incident unprecedented in the annals of sport fortune to-day was more favourable to the hunters they brought down a couple of harris bucks a rare kind of black antelope very difficult to shoot these were charming animals four feet high with long diverging horns shaped like scimitars the tips of their noses were narrow they had black hoofs close soft hair and pointed ears their face and belly white as snow contrasted well with their black back over which fell a wavy mane hunters may well be proud of such shots for the harris buck has always been the desideratum of the delegorgues volbergs cummings and baldwins and is one of the finest specimens of the southern fauna but what made the Englishman's heart beat fastest was Mokoum's showing him certain marks on the edge of the thick underwood not far from a deep pool surrounded by giant euphorbias and whose surface was dotted with sky-blue water-lilies. Come and lie in ambush here to-morrow, sir, said Mokoum, and this time you may bring your rifle. Look at these fresh footprints. What are they? Can they be an elephant's? asked Sir John yes replied macoam and unless i am mistaken of a male full-grown eagerly then was the engagement made for the following day sir john's horse as they returned carried the harris bucks these fine creatures so rarely captured excited the admiration of the whole caravan and all congratulated sir john except perhaps matthew Strux, who knew little of animals except the great bear the centaur pegasus and other celestial fauna at four o'clock the next morning the hunters attended by their dogs were already hidden in the underwood they had discovered by new footmarks that the elephants came in a troop to drink at the pool their grooved rifles carried explosive bullets silent and still they watched for about half an hour When they observed a movement in the grove about fifty paces from the pool sir john seized his gun but the bushman made him a sign to restrain his impatience soon large shadows appeared the thickets rustled under the violence of some pressure the brushwood snapped and crackled and the sound of a loud breathing was perceptible through the branches it was the herd of elephants half a dozen gigantic creatures almost as large as those of india advanced slowly towards the pool the increasing daylight allowed sir john struck with admiration to notice especially a male of enormous size his colossal proportions appeared in the partial light even greater than they really were while his trunk was extended above the underwood with his curved tusks he struck the great stems which groaned under the shock the bushman leant down close to sir john's ear and whispered will he suit you sir john made a sign of affirmation then said mokoham we will separate him from the rest at this instant the elephants reached the edge of the pool and their spongy feet sank into the soft mud they pumped up the water with their trunks and poured it into their throats with a loud gurgling the great male looked uneasily about him and he seemed to scent some approaching danger suddenly the bushman gave a peculiar cry the dogs barking furiously darted from concealment and rushed towards the herd at that same moment mokoam charging his companion to remain where he was went off on his own zebra to intercept the elephant's retreat the animal made no attempt to take flight and sir john with his finger on the lock of his rifle watched him closely The brute beat the trees and lashed his tail furiously, showing signs not of uneasiness but of anger, and now for the first time catching sight of his enemy he rushed upon him at once. Sir John was about sixty paces distant, and waiting till the elephant came within forty paces, he aimed at his flank and fired, but a movement of the horse made his aim unsteady and the ball only entered the soft flesh without meeting any obstacle sufficient to make it explode the enraged beast increased its pace which was rather a rapid walk than a run and would have soon distanced the horse sir john's horse reared and rushed from the thicket his master unable to hold him in the elephant followed ears erect and bellowing like a trumpet sir john thus carried away held on to his horse tightly with his knees and endeavoured to slip a cartridge into the chamber of his rifle still the elephant gained on him and they were soon beyond the wood and out on the plain sir john vigorously used his spurs and the two dogs rushed panting in the rear the elephant was not two lengths behind sir john could hear the hissing of his trunk and almost feel his strong breath every moment he expected to be dragged from his saddle by the living lasso all at once the horse sunk on his hind quarters struck by the elephant on his haunches he neighed and sprung to one side thus saving sir john the elephant unable to check his course passed on and sweeping the ground with his trunk caught up one of the dogs and shook it in the air with tremendous violence no resource remained except to re-enter the wood and the horse's instinct carried him thither the elephant continued to give chase brandishing the unlucky dog whose head he smashed against a sycamore as he rushed into the forest the horse darted into a dense thicket entangled with prickly creepers and stopped sir john torn and bleeding but not for an instant discomposed turned round and shouldering his rifle took aim at the elephant close to the shoulder through the network of creepers the ball exploded as it struck the bone the animal staggered and almost at the same moment a second shot from the edge of the wood struck his left flank he fell on his knees near a little pool half hidden in the grass there pumping up the water with his trunk he began to wash his wounds uttering plaintive cries the bushman now appeared shouting he is ours he is ours and in truth the animal was mortally wounded he groaned piteously and breathed hard his tail moved feebly and his trunk fed from the pool of his blood poured back a crimson stream on the surrounding brushwood gradually failed his strength and the great beast was dead sir john murray now emerged from the grove he was half naked little of his hunting costume remaining but rags but he felt as though he could have given his very skin for this triumph a glorious fellow he exclaimed as he examined the carcass but rather too big to carry home true sir answered mccoham we will cut him up on the spot and carry off the choice parts look at his magnificent tusks twenty-five pounds apiece at least and ivory at five shillings a pound will mount up and thus talking the hunter proceeded to cut up the animal he took off the tusks with his hatchet and contented himself with the feet and trunk as choice morsels with which to regale the members of the commission this operation took some time and he and his companion did not get back to camp before midday The bushman had the elephant's feet cooked according to the African method, and that is by burying them in a hole previously heated like an oven with hot coals. The delicacy was fully appreciated by all, not excepting the phlegmatic palander, and Sir John Murray received a hearty round of compliments. End of chapter 9